This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Valerie's Variety Podcast with your host, me, Valerie Moss. And today's episode, we're going to interview an expat. His name's Michael Swain. There isn't many people I come across since living in Calgary that are actually born here, but my dad, Michael Swain, was born here at the Calgary General Hospital. He went back to school later in life, completing his master's in business administration and then packing up his bags looking for new experiences across the pond. Finding an opportunity as a professor in a commerce school in Doha, Qatar, which lasted seven years. Welcome to the show, Michael Swain. Where were you born in Calgary? I was born at, uh, at the General Hospital in Calgary. They have since torn that down. Um, actually, not too long ago, maybe about six or seven years ago, they tore down the old general and they, they built a new hospital there. To clarify, the Calgary General Hospital became the oldest hospital located in the city of Calgary by the time of its demolition in 1998. The facility was known in its later history as the Bow Valley Centre of the Calgary General Hospital after it was merged with the Peter Lougheed Centre. We lived uh, at 3312 34th Avenue in southwest Calgary. And we lived there till I was about about seven years old. So you you were you were you were born in nineteen fifty five. You lived there until nineteen sixty three. Sixty two. Sixty two. And you had a number of siblings as well at that time already. Right. Yeah. So Cher was the oldest uh, girl of family, Sharon, and then Ron. And Derek and Murray and then myself, and we were all in, in the Calgary house. And how big was your house that you lived in? It was like um, sort of a 50s bungalow, mm. um, probably, you know, 900 square feet or something on the main floor, you know, three-bedroom on the main floor. Dad built a rumpus room downstairs and uh, a nice bedroom. And uh, so, like, the older kids eventually moved down there. Uh, it was a nice, nice house. You went to school in Calgary then? Mm-hmm. I started elementary school there um, at the, um, what was it, the Holy, Holy Rosary. Holy Cross? Yeah, it was a Holy Cross, that's right. Holy Cross School? The Holy Cross School was built in 1959. The original building was built and comprised what is now the Junior High Wing and the Gymnasium. It was built in the town of Forest Lawn, which was annexed by the City of Calgary in 1962. At that time, it was a Catholic high school with the Bow Valley Separate School District. After joining the Calgary Catholic School Board, it continued to be a high school until 1966, when it was changed to a junior high. 
The building was expanded over two years, in 1972 to 1973, to add the elementary wing, as well additional space for change rooms adjacent to the gym. Um, and you vaguely remember your first grade teacher. You were the telling me about grade, her. Uh, teacher, Mrs. Oneski. She was. We all had her. Cher, uh, Cher, Derek Murray, and myself all had Mrs. Oneski for our our grade one class. And she was mean. She was a mean teacher. And I, I used to get in trouble. I ripped my comic, not my comic, but my coloring book one day, and I tried to hide it from her. And she moved my hand, and she saw the rip, and she grabbed my ear, and she just shook my head <laughs> vigorously all around the room. Oh, my God. And how old are you? I was so scared of her. I was just like five or six. Well, oh. I started school when I was five because my birthday is in October. So, mm -hmm. you know, so I would have been, you know, five years old going on six. Oh, my word. Yeah. So you remember her clearly. Absolutely. Crystal clear. <laughs> She had a couple of whiskers on her chin and everything, right? God. Where did your mom and dad work at the time? Dad was working as an accountant at uh, Imperial Oil. Canada as a country was only 13 years old when the Imperial Oil Company was formed by 16 oil refiners in southwestern Ontario. As Canada has grown up, Imperial has grown with it, sharing its prosperity and weathering the tough times. From 1960 to 1999, around the time that my dad is talking about, at Cold Lake, Alberta, Imperial begins an experimental program to extract bitumen from the oil sands. This is in 1964. In 1971, the company discovers natural gas at Taglu in the Mackenzie Delta. In 1975, Imperial's Strathcona refinery is built to replace older refineries in Edmonton, Regina, Winnipeg, and Calgary. In 1978, Esso Resources Canada Limited, a Calgary-based wholly-owned subsidiary, is formed to manage all of the company's natural resource activity. In 1981, a new division, Esso Petroleum Canada, is formed to manage all of the company's petroleum product operations. In 1984, 60 years after research began in Sarnia, the new Sarnia Process and Automotive Research Centre opens. In 1985, at the Norman Wells oil field in the Northwest Territories, a three-year expansion project is completed, making it the largest single project in the company's history. And in 1989, Imperial purchases Texaco Canada it is the second largest corporation acquisition in the nation's history. Fast forward to 2004, a $10 million grant is given to the University of Alberta for a new research facility mandated to find out more efficient, economically viable and environmentally responsible ways to develop Canada's oil sands resources. Imperial moves its head office to Calgary from Toronto in 5th Avenue Place. 2007, Imperial and ExxonMobil Canada acquire a multi-year exploration license covering more than 500,000 acres to explore for hydrocarbons in the Beaufort Sea. 
2009, Imperial announces its decision to fund the first phase of the Curl Oil Sands Project, a new mining development northeast of Fort McMurray, Alberta. 2012, Imperial announces approval of an expansion of the company's Coal Lake operation in northeastern Alberta called Nabaya. In 2013, Imperial announces the startup of the initial development of the Curl Oil Sands Project, which incorporates next-generation technology, innovations that significantly enhance environmental performance. Imperial launches new corporate brand logo and the name of the company becomes Imperial in 2014. reception at the Palliser Hotel in Calgary. Fairmont Palliser Hotel. The Fairmont Palliser Hotel, known as the Palliser Hotel, is a hotel of the Canadian-based Fairmont Hotel and Resorts chain. The historic hotel, in 1914, is located in downtown Calgary, Alberta, at 133 9th Avenue Southwest, adjacent to the Calgary Tower and Palliser Square. It is the city's oldest and most luxurious hotel and celebrated its centennial on June 1, 2014. Years ago, Jeff's mom and sister were in the Palliser Hotel when the Queen was staying there. They were walking down the hallway admiring the furnishings and they turned around and bumped into the Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Pretty spectacular moment. So we were kind of talking about this a bit earlier, and my husband's dad, Kevin Moss, also worked at the Palliser Hotel as a bellhop, and he knew your mom as Rini. Right, but my mom used to go by Rini. Her name was Maureen Swain. In fact, all of Dad's siblings, brothers and sisters, used to call her Rini. So Jeff and I and his dad were talking one night years ago, and this story came up that he worked with Rini Swain at the Palliser. So small world. Um, what do you remember about their jobs? What do you remember about your mom and dad working in Calgary? Were they kind of well, not nestled much, in the community, you know, or? Had- we used to have uh, some uh, really awesome, I remember one awesome caregiver that used to come into the house and take care of us, and uh, she used to make, her name was Mrs. Wilson or something, but she used to make pancakes the size of our plates. So she was like a nanny or you know, what? She was like, yeah, would take care of us while mom and dad were at work and perhaps, you know, we were out of school or something at that time, right? So okay. I, didn't, I didn't really know exactly why, but... And, uh, you know, at our place, uh, you know, on 34th Avenue. And our next-door neighbor was uh, Mrs. Good. And uh, she was a really old lady that I used to sneak over there all the time for cookies, right? Okay. And she used to always have me in, and uh, she treated me really good. Eh? So, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I remember that, too. So, yeah. So, it was, uh, um, and then Mom worked at, of course, the Palliser Hotel. We went there one, one year for... Um, um, for uh, the Christmas party, staff Christmas party, 
And of course, Santa was there. Everybody had gifts, and and they had brought in a little reindeer. And this little reindeer was just like trembling. It was so scared of all the people all around it and everything like that, eh? But I remember that Ron and Derek, either one of them, went and sat on Santa Claus's knee, and Santa Claus gave him um, some fake cigarettes, right? So, <laughs> so, so they were standing there. They're about probably well, you know, I'd be about five or six, probably six. So they're they're about nine and ten. Mm-hmm. So those are my dad's two older brothers. Yeah, they're standing there blowing kind of this this dust or whatever it was in these in, and I was concerned because they looked like real cigarettes so uh, immediately I, I ran and told mom and daddy that Ron and Derek were smoking right oh that was nice of you yeah yeah I'm sure they're happy about that oh yes yes, yes. and um we were talking earlier about stampede because I remember a story that your brother Ron so my dad's oldest brother was telling us that your mom made them, made all of you guys matching shirts. Yeah, like the cowboy shirts with snap buttons and everything, and the, and the frills, and uh, mine was black and white. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And, uh, of course, uh, Cher, Sharon, the oldest girl, she was in a nice uh, country dress and that kind of stuff, and we all had cowboy hats and kerchiefs, and, you know, we all... So there's uh, how many of you then? Well, there would have been uh, Cher, Ron... Us. Derek Murray and you, yeah. so five, and yeah. she worked full time, and she made worked, all these shirts. Yeah, yeah, she worked full time at, uh, at the hotel. Yeah. The Calgary Stampede is an annual rodeo exhibition and festival held every year in July in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The ten-day event, which builds itself as the greatest outdoor show on earth, attracts over one million visitors per year, and features one of the world's largest rodeos a parade, midway, stage show concerts, agricultural competitions, chuck wagon racing, and First Nations exhibitions. In 2008, the Calgary Stampede was inducted into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. The event's roots are traced to 1886 when the Calgary and District Agricultural Society had its first fair. In 1912, American promoter Guy Wiedek organized his first rodeo and festival, known as the Stampede. He returned to Calgary in 1919 to organize the Victory Stampede in honor of soldiers returning from World War I. Weddick's festival became an annual event in 1923 when it merged with the Calgary Industrial Exhibition to create the Calgary Exhibition and Stampede. You guys are all dolled up in all your Western gear, and you go and you get to watch the parade from the Palliser. Yeah. So you're in one of the beautiful rooms up in this yeah, antique hotel. Yeah, they in the Palliser Hotel and go out onto the balcony. Oh, watch. you're on the balcony? Yeah. Oh, wow. The, watch, or, yeah. Probably. Watch the parade from there. So the Palliser Hotel in Calgary faces 9th Avenue, and the parade goes down 9th Avenue to 6th Avenue. Okay. So it goes all the way around this massive block. And so Dad, with all his siblings and everybody else at the palace are up there watching the parade go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one time I, we were just uh, making our way to the Palliser Hotel through the crowds, of course, all over the sidewalks. 
and I was uh, I was watching the parade, you know, go by, and the next thing I knew, I, I looked around and mom and dad were gone. So, of course, being you know six years old, you know, I immediately started crying and running up and down the street trying to find find <laughs> my mom and dad. Right. Yeah. And finally, some guy just stopped me. and says, "Wait, wait, hold on there, little fella. You know, like where are you where are you running to?" And so I told him what was going on, and that dad was telling me at the same time too. He says, like, like uh, look down the street there, Maureen. Isn't that Michael, right? And so uh, then uh, then the mom says, yes, of course it is, you know. And then Dad ran out and ran down the street, and then he, he picked me up and took me back. He got you. Hotel. Yeah. So you're safe and sound. So he saved me. Yeah. He saved you yeah. from the crowds. Um, so you've been kind of coming back to Calgary quite a bit now since both your girls live there. And yeah. How has the city changed? Like, what do you like about coming and visiting the mountains and being well, in that area? Calgary is, is okay. It's, it's, you know, like, you know, because I've been away from the big cities for, for so, so long, they don't do much for me anymore. You know, like, they, it's too busy and too much traffic and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really have the same feel as it did when I was a kid, I don't think. And maybe just because of that, because it's so much larger now, you know. Right. I do have lots of fond memories, and I do love the, you know, the the plateau that Calgary sits on, where you can, you know, take a look at the, the Rocky Mountains in the background and the. That's pretty. Hey, when yeah. you're driving through Absolutely. the city and you can see all that. Yeah. Calgary is located in, at the transition zone between the Canadian Rockies foothills and the Canadian prairies. The city lies within the foothills of the Parkland Natural Region and the Grasslands Natural Region. Downtown Calgary is about 1,042 meters or 3,400 feet above sea level. Those of you listening, my dad, Michael, has worked overseas in Doha and Dubai for Qatar. Qatar. Doha is the capital city and the most populous city of the state of Qatar. Doha has a population of 1.5 million. The city is located on the coast of the Persian Gulf in the east of the country. It is Qatar's fastest growing city with over 50% of the nation's population living in Doha or its surrounding suburbs. And it is also the economic center of the country. In May 2015, Doha was officially recognized as one of the new Seven Wonders Cities, together with Vigan, La Paz, Durban, Havana, Beirut, and Kuala Lumpur. How many years were you over there? Seven years. Seven years. And he was a professor at a commerce institute, commerce school? College. uh, College. uh, Yep. And so... Um, it was called uh, College of the North Atlantic. Okay. It's out of uh, Newfoundland, uh, Labrador, but uh, they have an extension that they uh, they went into. Oh, it's a uh, Canadian school? Yeah, it was a Canadian oh, okay. college-run um, operation there. And uh, so it was uh, all people from Canada were the instructors. College of the North Atlantic is one of the largest post-secondary educational and skills training centers in Atlanta, Canada, with a history dating back 50 years. 
This college has 17 campus locations throughout the province of Newfoundland and Labrador in Canada, various partner universities in China, and operate a technical education college for the state of Qatar in the Middle East. The enabling legislation is the College Act. The headquarters for College of the North Atlantic and the Bay St. George campus are located in Stephenville, on the west coast of the island portion of Newfoundland and Labrador. College of the North Atlantic offers nearly 100 full-time program offerings and more than 300 part-time courses for some 25,000 students each year. Just kind of give us a bit of a brief on how you kind of got into going to work overseas and not just... Well, while working in Canada, I was uh, working at a college here uh, at the uh, Saskatchewan Polytechnique. Saskatchewan Polytechnique, formerly the Saskatchewan Institute of Applied Science and Technology, or SIAST, is Saskatchewan's primary public institution for post-secondary technical education and skills training. Recognized nationally and internationally for its expertise and innovation. Through program and course re registration, Saskatchewan Polytechnique serves 26,000 distinct students with programs that touch every sector of the economy. It operates campuses in Moose Jaw, Prince Albert, Regina, and Saskatoon, and provides a number of courses and programs through distance education. I was the culinary instructor, and during my time working as, as a culinary instructor, I uh, took the necessary classes to get my undergraduate uh, degree in vocational technical education. Congratulations. And then went on to the MBA program, which I completed through the Royal Roads University. So I completed that program about uh, officially about 2006. And, my, and did you need that to work overseas? Yes, I needed the oh, okay. MBA uh, designation in order to get the job overseas. Fortunately, I had had a friend that was working there, and he sort of put my name into the hat. And uh, so I was able to apply there. I, I, I got the job, and I moved over there in uh, September of 2007. So being a um, Canadian citizen and always working in Alberta and Saskatchewan provinces. What was the drive? Why would you want to go and work on the other side of the world in another country? Well, just the, uh, just the curiosity. Like, I mean, this is a Middle Eastern country and... Uh, Which you knew nothing about at the time. Absolutely nothing about. Right. We right. lived in a town that had, like, you were in Meadow Lake and Saskatoon at the time. So very small Small city, small town. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't even know Doha, Qatar existed before I went there. Right. Yeah, I didn't even know it was on the map. Right. So it was your buddy who decided, who kind of put the little spark in your mind that said, "Hey, come and give this a shot, Mike." Yeah, yeah. So put your application. I'm sure he had, you know, pulled <laughs> some strings on the other side in order to get me over there too. You know, so. And, so was the pay good? Like, was it worth it financially to go over there? Well, I went... Uh, or was it comparable? It was comparable at the time that I went, but then the then I did get a fairly good pay increase while I was there, and we're pretty happy with the pay. Okay, great. Yeah. So what kind of, like, paperwork and what kind of, um, you know, process did you have to go through to get 
well, of course, accepted you know, you into to, the country. You have to go through the physical. You can't have any kind of HIV, anything like that. So you have to go through all of that. You have to have a clear uh, criminal record. Okay. okay. So you had to get a, a record check. You had to get a, a X-ray, a lung mm-hmm. X-ray, to make sure that you're not taking over like tuberculosis or anything like that. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so you have to you have to cross all of those bridges, you know. Right. And, and if that's clear, uh, basically, then you just go as a as a resident. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that's what I went as a Canadian resident working overseas. So they call you expat. Right. And then... Um, and does that cover all the nationalities that work over there? Pretty much, yeah. So yeah. anybody that's not from there is called an expat. Yeah, true. An expat, or expatriate, often shortened to expat, is a person temporarily or permanently residing in a country other than their native country. In common usage, the term often refers to professionals, skilled workers, or artists taking positions outside their home country, either independently or sent abroad by their employers, who can be companies, universities, governments, or non-governmental organizations. Effectively, migrant workers, they usually earn more than they would at home, and more than local employees. However, the term expatriate is also used for retirees and others who have chosen to live outside their native country. Historically, it has also referred to exiles. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If I've left anything out or you'd like to learn more about Michael's tenor and guitar, let me know. Let me also know what you think by leaving me a comment or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Blueberry, and TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music for this show is provided through GarageBand, and due to Michael's love for playing bass guitar, we've chosen Offbeat Auto Wah Guitar. The intro and outro for this podcast is recorded by London Moss. The podcast is produced by me, Valerie Moss, through GarageBand and WordPress. Coming up on part two of Interview with an Expatriate, we will dive into living in Qatar, teaching, life, driving, eating, and more. Thanks for listening. Visit ValerieMoss.ca for more information.